Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, notice the word all there, in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, you are saved, and hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to look at verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, notice in verse number 1, you, and, and just take, take out that hath he quickened, and I'm not trying to change the word, but I want you to notice these phrases. You who were dead. You see that? You who were dead. Verse 4. Circle those two words. It'd be good to circle you who were dead. Then come down to verse 4. But God. And then verse 8. Are you saved through faith? By grace. You, you can circle them. Them's two good ones. Amen. For by grace. You who were dead, but God, by grace. That's some good phrases right there. And that, those of us who are saved, that's all of our plights. Now, we're talking about vision, and we spent several weeks on, um, you know, really God's vision of, of us, who, how God sees us. And um, we talked about vision blockers ourselves, things that come in our way, the way of doing what God wants us to do. And we talked about vision enhancers, things that will allow us to see what God wants us to do. And then on Sunday nights, we went through um, and talked about a, a vision statement, personal vision statement. And then last Sunday night, we talked about um, a vision of God, our vision of God. And we're going to do that for the next several messages. And we began with our vision of God, uh, a God of love. And we talked about God's love last Sunday night. And the reason we we're doing this is because the way you view God, the way you believe affects the way you behave. You cannot separate the, the two. And when you come to a situation like we're facing in our nation, um, you know, how we respond is directly tied to what we believe about God. A false view of God will lead to a faulty living. You, you can't, and uh, you know, you can't wire a house with bare wires and expect to get a grounded, you know, unit. You can't. Brother Timmy, if he were to go wire a house and half of them were, were stripped and the, the wires and they, and they looked terrible and the, the plastic was off of them, can I tell you, you're always going to have problems with your electrical system at your house. You're going to turn on lights. They're not going to come on. You're going to turn them on sometimes. They're going to come on and flicker and go off. 
It's never going to be right. The same goes for how we believe. Unless we, we get our view of God right, we're not going to live right. We're not going to respond right. We've got to get this part down. Who is God? What are his characteristics? What is he like? Can he be trusted? We got to get that down. And so last week, Sunday night, we talked about the God of love today, the God of, of mercy. But before we get to the God of mercy, I want you to see in verse one, you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin. And, you know, so many, sadly, so many churches that claim to be evangelistic churches, um, they simply avoid the word uh, sin. They avoid this dead and trespasses in sin. They don't talk about it. And, and quite frankly, even in a church like our church, uh, when you talk about it several times, folks get kind of tired of hearing it. Um, but it's the truth. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And there's nothing in, in, our, in our culture. It's not good to talk about someone's sin. It, it hurts their feelings. They don't want to hear it. And so uh, we focus more in our culture on the positive aspects of the gospel. And I'm thankful for the positive aspects of the gospel. But you really have no good news if you don't have any bad news. You don't have any transforming power if you have nothing to transform. And so we have honed in and, and these newer churches uh, have really made, um, you know, made it work by accentuating the positives of the gospel without ever really explaining why we need the gospel and really without ever focusing on the sin nature of humankind. They, they, they just focus on gospel-centered, gospel-centered. And, and we ought to be gospel-centered. But you've got to understand when our culture says we are a gospel-centered church, what they mean is we're only going to talk about the positive aspects of the gospel. We're not going to talk about sin. We're not going to talk about any kind of sin. We're only going to relay the positive message of the gospel. There is no positive message of the gospel without the negative message of what caused Jesus to go to the cross. He didn't go to the cross so you could go to the Moose Lodge and play checkers. He came to transform us and to save us from our sin. But there's no need for the gospel if people are not desperately, hopelessly alienated from God. And that is where we are. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And some churches just want to swap the label uh, on sin, referring to it with all sorts of psychobabble without really calling it what it is. Uh, but the Father, again, didn't send Jesus into the world to help us cope with our problems. God didn't send Jesus down here to be your counselor in the sense of, you know, somebody you can just kind of bounce stuff off of and not listen to. That's not why God sent Jesus down here. He didn't put his son on the cross to make us feel better about ourselves or boost our self-esteem. In our narcissistic society, we really think that's why God sent Jesus. To help us feel better about our situation. To help us boost our self-esteem, feel better about ourselves. Christ came and offered himself on the cross to deal with our most fundamental, pervasive, problematic, and eternally devastating issue. And that is, sin has made us an object of God's wrath. 
Sin, S-I-N. And many churches claim, again, they minimize it, they avoid it, they prefer to focus on uh, the more positive aspects, and I'm for being positive, but again, uh, there's no need for the gospel if people are not desperately, hopelessly uh, alienated from God because of sin. And may God help us. And uh, one commentator said this, uh, this truth is denied in these days, talking about dead and trespasses and sin. Men speak of the better self, the good spark. Man needs a new heart, not a new start. A new life, not just turn over a new leaf. A resurrection, not just reformation. Signing a pledge card will not suffice. No one can live a life for God until he first receives life from God. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to live a life for God without receiving life from God. And that's a futile attempt. That's why you see people in and out. In and out, in and out. And um, mercy, we're going to talk about mercy, but again, the kind of mercy I want to talk about this morning is not the kind that, that uh, prevails today. It's not, and, and by the way, mercy doesn't take away judgment. Mercy does not necessarily take away consequences. And uh, when David committed his sin with Bathsheba, committed murder uh, on Uriah, uh, God said, the sword will never depart out of your house. You're going to be acquainted with death. You're going to lose your wife. The very things you stole. So God judged David. He didn't remove. Now he forgave him. But he didn't remove the consequences of, of sin. But he was still merciful to David. And somebody said this. God is the grand master of mercy. His very nature desires to relieve us of the self-imposed mercy and uh, misery and distress we experience because of our sin. Mercy is a godlike characteristic. Scriptures fill with references to this part of his innate nature. God is a God of mercy. And uh, well, I'm thankful that he is, aren't you? I'm thankful that God is a God of mercy and uh, thank the Lord for it. Now, there was one, there was one preacher uh, talking about uh, the weight of sin and, and uh, he was communicating. Uh, this open air preacher was telling a story and uh, uh, I mean, he was preaching away, maybe like down at, down at we, we preached all over the place. I preached right outside the racetrack in Hot Springs before. And, uh, that, it, you know, you can preach anywhere. So this guy was out preaching. There used to be one in Mount Airy. Is that guy still, is those guys still on the corner of Mount Airy preaching, son? Anybody seen? I don't think I've seen them the last few times I've been down there. But uh, anyway, there's, there's street preachers around. And this guy was preaching. And um, he, was, he was telling the story about Jesus. And boy, he was getting with it. And uh, this, this little, you know, kid, not really a kid, but um, I'll just use that term. He, he hollered out, you tell us about a burden of sin. He said, I don't feel any. And then he added, how much does sin weigh anyway? 10 pounds, 400 pounds, 80 pounds. And uh, the preacher then said, tell me. He said, if I put a 400, you said 400, if I put a 400 pound weight on the chest of a dead man, would he feel it? No, because he's dead, answered the youth. And as preacher said, the man who feels no load of sin is dead 
spiritually. And certainly we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And that's why we see people and they think, man, I don't even know if they, they, they don't even see what they're doing. No, they're dead. Dead men have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. Can't respond. Why? Because they're dead. And uh, if you never feel the burden, if you've never felt the burden of sin, I would be extremely alarmed. If you've never felt the burden of sin, I would be extremely alarmed. And that goes in conjunction with conviction now. Conviction is feeling the burden of my own sin. If you've never felt the weight of your own sin, I would be highly alarmed. Because again, a dead man feels no weight. And so if you've never felt the burden of your sin, you may still yet be dead in trespasses and sin. I want to read you some verses about God's mercy if I could. And you can jot these references down and look them back up later. Deuteronomy 4.31. Deuteronomy 4.31. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. He's a merciful God. Nehemiah 9.31. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art a righteous, a gracious and merciful God. Psalm 119, 132. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Daniel 9, 18. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. Micah 7, 18 and 19, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth, notice, in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. Mercy is a subset of God's goodness. Love is a subset of God's goodness. And we see the vehicle that contains the mercy of God is the compassion of God is God's compassion. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. You know, it doesn't depend on a man's desire or a man's effort. It depends on God's mercy. Mercy is God rescuing us from our miserable condition, rescuing us from our miserable condition. And we see, um, we see in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we, we are in, we've already seen it. We're condemned. We're condemned already, the Bible says. So we're in a miserable spot. But I, I, don't, want, I don't want you to judge me. I don't want to be your judge. David said the same in 2 Samuel 24, 14. David said in the Gad, I'm in a great strait. Let us fall down to the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great and let me not fall into the hand of man. Basically, he's saying, I, I'd a whole lot rather, and I, I understand, you know, I've messed up terribly with my life, David said. 
But he said, oh, I want to fall into the mercies of God. I don't want to fall in the hands of man. The reason he wanted to fall in the hands of God because he knew God was merciful. He can count on the fact that God is a God of rescue. God came, I mean, the whole mission of Jesus Christ was to perform a rescue mission. That is what, why he came. Again, he did not come, obviously, to set up his earthly kingdom at that time because he came in on a donkey and they were waving palm branches. So that's not his purpose. His purpose was not to be doted on because he was reviled and he reviled not again. He was spat upon, but he opened not his mouth. So the reason for Jesus coming was not... Uh, to wear a royal crown. It was not to be born in a palace. He came for one reason and one reason only and that was to rescue us from our miserable condition and if we kind of deny the fact, you know, over time we've seen people do this. They, uh, You could have a horrible situation and they kind of minimize it at this point. I mean, like we look back at the Holocaust and really it doesn't take effect to us like it should. I mean, we look at the carnage, but it really doesn't affect us like it should. Why? Because we've been so far removed. And that's why some, some famous people, if you will, they, they have summons that their personal files not be open till 20, 30 years on down when every generation will be gone that knew anything about them. Why is that? Because out of sight, out of mind. Don't ever forget the reason Jesus came. Don't forget that if it weren't for the mercy of God, we would be in hell this morning. And don't ever forget that, you you know, sometimes when we get saved, we get this idea that I wasn't that bad after all. I wasn't really that bad. Oh, listen, if sin were the color of blue, we, we would all be blue all over. We may, some may be, sorry, Carolina blue. Sorry, some may be Duke blue. But we'd be blue. There would not be a part of us that wouldn't be blue. Because we're tainted by sin. So never get to the place where you think, you know, really, I don't know. And I mean, what a spit in the face. And for us to minimize like the Holocaust, can you imagine how the people who were actually there would feel? Can you imagine how Jesus feels when we minimize sin and really make his coming of no avail. Like, really, you didn't even have to come because I wasn't that bad. You know, like a kid, when you go help them, they're, they're really drowning and you go dig them out of the water and then they say, I was fine. I was treading water. I wasn't drowning. I mean, full of water, eyes bugged out. I was okay. I can swim. How many times you heard that one? I can swim. I could swim. I was okay. I was just swimming underwater. Yeah. For 30 seconds with no movement. <laughs> no, you needed a rescue. And for us to say or to minimize why Jesus came church, let's never get lose sight of a God of mercy who really the only reason he put that plan and action was for you and for me for the sins of the whole world it wasn't because we were okay we just needed a little pat on the back we just needed a little boost no we needed saving we needed rescuing so no matter how um you know far you come in life so to speak 
Never lose sight of the fact that it's of God's mercies that we're not consumed. And it was His mercy that rescued us. And we did, contrary to popular belief, we did need rescuing. Never forget that fact. We were condemned, we were controlled by the God of this world. Verse 2, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. And that word walked really has the idea of energized. You, you, you were energized by this world. You're energized by the God of this world. You know, you, you, you kept going because uh, Satan was propelling you according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And the whole verse has the idea of this being energized by that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It was an energizing kind of deal. Keeps them going. What is it? Who, who keeps them going? Satan, the prince of the power of the air. He's the energizing force behind all of it. So you can get mad at Black Lives Matter if you want to, but really the force behind that, the force behind any kind of hate group is none other than Satan. So really, you know, be careful turning your, your hatred eyes upon an individual or upon a senator or a congressman or something. Yeah, I, we ought to stand for what's right, but that's not the real problem. The real energy behind all of this is not uh, socialism, socialism, socialism. It's not, you know, Cortez. It's not uh, the one that I don't even know their names. I just know Michigan and, and uh, whatever that other one's name is. I don't even want to remember. Detroit, the one from Detroit. Boy, they got a fine track record. They can't even keep, or can't keep their water clean in Flint, Michigan. But you know, we get upset, and I do too. I look and see, and uh, and I, I'll be honest. I like to I like to hear that the president spoke person spokesperson. Kayla, what's her name? Kaylee McAhaney, is that right? He was at Wake Forest the other day. But you know what? I like to hear that. I like to hear her quieten up those reporters. I don't just like it. I love to hear it, actually. I, when she comes back real kind of sharp, she says things that I'd like to say, but I'm not going to say. I'm a pastor. You know, I, I love it. Do you know the real problem is not those reporters down there asking dumb questions and getting us all worked up? That's not the problem. The problem's not the um, Muslim Congress women. The problem, the real problem, is the prince of the power of the air, the force behind it. It's not just them. They're just puppets in a show put on by Satan. And so let's, let's, let's launch our energy towards the problem. The real problem is Satan. Controlled by hostile force, contaminated in every part, according to verse 3. Again, just obeying the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Or by children, uh, nature, the children of wrath, even as others. And but verse four is a beautiful verse. But God, who is rich in 
mercy. God takes pleasure in rescuing us. I think it was M.R. DeHaan. I'm not sure one preacher was talking about a church in Detroit, a, a Detroit neighborhood. It's an old church, empty, dilapidated, um, just decaying. And I don't know if any of you have seen, um, I believe it's the lady running for senator in Baltimore, Maryland. Have any of y'all seen that video? And, and what I want to get at, you remember looking at all the buildings and how, how dilapidated they look and, and how awful the area looks? Well, just picture the, this decaying neighborhood. And when I went to Philadelphia, well, I saw some of this. Um, you know, there's a part that these yuppies are trying to turn into new businesses. And then there's a part that they're not even messing with. <laughs> the part where the heroin addicts are, they're not messing with that part. They're going into these, buying these slum houses real cheap and restoring them because everybody likes that old industrial look. So they're restoring these old complexes and duplexes. But there's a part, and I talked to Brother Burton about it. There's a part, he said, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're renovating this part, he said, but they're not coming over to my part. <laughs> and they're not making it over here. I mean, just because it's so, and really it just looks like there's not one building. It just like, looks like one big blob of, of nothing. It looks awful, dilapidated. And this was the way M.R. DeHaan described this church. Just decayed, the building, I mean, uh, blended into the whole area because it was so dilapidated. Storefronts were boarded up. Windows broke out. Uh, old school building was padlocked. Um, stores, you know, little old corner stores may still have some traffic, but not much. Just grim looking, unswept, unkept, forgotten. He said, that's how it all looked. He said, then one night, things changed. He said, the old church sparkled with light. You think this old church just took on the scenery of the other parts of the city. But he said one night the old church sparkled with light. Parked cars lined the streets. The sound of music filled the air. What had been dead and abandoned had come to life. He said, I've seen people like that. For years they were dark and empty like that old church. There was little inside except anger, selfishness, and pride. Then one day all that was changed. Suddenly the darkness was gone. He said somebody had turned on the lights. But God, who is rich in mercy. If you're saved, do you know that happened to you? God turned on the lights in your soul. What was abandoned, what was forgotten, what was cast aside, what was padlocked, what was boarded up. I mean, the quarters of your soul uh, was as bad looking as the streets of Detroit or Baltimore. And God came and restored. He came on a rescue mission and he restored you from the inside out. He turned the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on in your soul and it permeates your whole life. When God changes a man or God God changes a woman. It doesn't stop on the inside. Fruit always grows on the outside of the tree. It'll get out on you. It works from the inside out. When God rest, restores, his restorations begin on the inside, but they're seen all over the place. And that's what happened. God, who is rich in mercy, he transforms our brokenness. He transforms 
our shame. He takes each sin. He takes each pain, each loss that you and I have had in our life. And by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ transforms us and transforms that brokenness and that shame so that we may glorify his name. Luke 10, 37, after the, the Good Samaritan story, and uh, when the guy asked him, who's my neighbor? And he told him, he said, he that showed mercy on him. Remember the one that got the man that was beaten? Put him on his own beast, took him to an inn, paid for the, remember that? So then the guy asked him, who is my neighbor? He said, the one that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. Salvation produces a change that breaks the chains of sin. And I'm glad God had a plan to rescue us. He changed his decision about us. He doesn't see us as dead anymore. We're alive in Christ. He doesn't see us as wrapped up in sin. The chains of sin are broken. And I'm thankful for that. He sees us different. He changes the disposition within us. I'm changed. On his, I'm not the same man I was before I got saved. If you're saved, you're not either. Now we're not all what we ought to be, but we're not what we used to be. And I, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. And one day I will be saved from the very presence of sin. God's not through with us yet, but he's working on us and he changes the disposition within us and then he changes the destination of our soul. A change takes place. Once headed for hell, now headed for heaven. Once sins clouded my life, now they're forgotten, forgiven, remembered no more. As far as the east is from the west, they're removed from me. God's not going to judge me for my sin in the sense he judged my sin on Jesus Christ when I trusted him as my savior. All of my sin was judged by Jesus, was taken on by Jesus. Now, I want us to notice what are some, what are some, what is our motivation? What is our motivation? What should we, we've been shown mercy. If you've been shown mercy, would you raise your hand? What is our motivation and implication since we've been shown mercy? Verse number seven. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. How does he show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us? He rescued us to show the world his goodness and to give glory to the Father. He rescued us to, to remake us. Now I'm going to saturate myself with the word. I'm going to beg God to show me what he wants me to do. Because he rescued me to reshape us and to use us. He didn't rescue you just to sit you on a corner somewhere. We're, not, we're trophies of his grace, but not trophies in the sense that we need to sit and do nothing. We were remade for use. For a purpose. And that's the whole theme of the messages we've been preaching. God remade us so that he could use us. What's necessary to be used? God resisteth. 1 Peter 5, 5. What does he do? For God at the end of it resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. 
Who does God use? Those that know they need mercy and that have been given mercy. Those are the ones that are humble. Those that know they need it and have been granted mercy. Those are the ones who have it. He rescued us so that we could rescue others. He rescued us so we could rescue others. So our motivation, Colossians 3.12. Turn over there if you would, please. Colossians 3.12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. You know when the Bible says that Jesus looked out on the crowd, the multitude, they were like sheep, having no shepherd, and he was moved with compassion. That means like sick to your stomach, kind of. When he talked about mercy, compassion, it was not just some external top up. It was right here. It was inward. It was deep. And so when he put, when he says bowels of mercy there, that that's, I mean, they're talking about the inward, the deepest part of your ability to feel is bowels of mercy. So what do you need to do? Just like you put on clothes every day. He says, put on bowels of mercy. You know, because you've been shown mercy, we, we, God is a God of mercy. Because we've been shown mercy, we need to show mercy. So Colossians says, put it on. Let's like you get ready every day. But don't forget, put on mercy. You, you got to do it. Listen, we're not merciful people by nature. We're vengeful people. We can be hateful sometimes. We can be critical. We can be bitter. We can be so, I mean, just so critical. We can eat each other up and spit out in a matter of seconds. So it's by nature that we're not merciful. Because, I mean, what's the first thing you want to do if somebody cuts you off? Just a great example. Just let somebody in an unmarked car that you don't know, you can't see them and they're in tinted windows and you can't see them, cut you off in traffic. And what, I'll show you an example of how we really are. We're not merciful by nature. When somebody pulls out in front of you, here's a good sign. Do you slow down and say, oh, I'm glad they, I'm so glad they joined us on this road here. Well, I'm glad to see another car, another human being, another creation that God made. I'm so glad to see you. Or do we, does that right foot get heavier because our heart gets angry and the right foot gets heavier and we get real close. Like I want you to see that I'm right here. And we get up real close to him. Uh, anybody ever done that? And, and somebody cuts you off and maybe you blow the horn at them in Christian love. I, mean, I guess that was just a, that was just a code for God loves you, and I do too. That man, and the longer you hold it down, the more love God has than I have. We know that's not true. We're not by nature merciful people. If we were, God wouldn't have said in Colossians 3.12, hey, put on bowels of mercy. Like, don't just put it on like a sleeve. You better put it on inside. It better be deep. Because we're not by nature merciful. But of all the people on the face of the earth, who ought to be the most merciful people? Those who've been shown mercy. Now, I gotta be honest. 
I fail in this one sometimes. There are times when I could have shown mercy. Not just that I, that I react in anger. There are times when I could have shown mercy, but I didn't. And again, we're not talking about excusing sin. That's not, if that's what God meant, God would have never let the sword go to David's house. So don't get this idea that we got to be real cushy and, and, and condone sin. Oh, no. No. That's not Bible mercy. That's not Bible mercy. But when somebody double crosses you, does you wrong, when you extend mercy to them, that's mercy. That's mercy. I'm not by nature merciful. You're not by nature merciful. But because we've been shown mercy, we need to show mercy. We need to show it. A lady named Irma Brombeck was telling the story in one of her books. And um, she was in the airport waiting on a plane. She wasn't on the plane. She was in the airport. And you know how we do sometimes. Some people do this, some people don't. Honestly, and we're just being transparent this morning. You've already judged me as being unmerciful, so I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> you know, if I'm in the airport and there's a lot of people, you know the first thing I want, I'm just going to be honest. My nature, my nature would be to do this. I'm going to tell you what my nature would be to do. People everywhere, shoulder to shoulder, a lot of noise. My nature would be to do this. That'd be my nature. Bury myself in a book so I don't have to pay attention to everything. I, I know that's terrible, Pastor. That's what I would want to do. That's what Miss Brombeck wanted to do. She said, you know what? I, just, I, was, I was reading the book and really, I, I wasn't just reading the book. I was trying to shut out all the commotion around me. I didn't want to talk to anybody. So she said, I was buried in this book. And a voice next to me belonging to an elderly woman said, I bet it's cold in Chicago. Miss Bombeck's stone face replied without ever taking her head out of her book, it's likely. I haven't been to Chicago in three years, she persisted. My son lives there. And then Bombeck, that's nice. I mean, just not saying much at all. And she said, I said that with my eyes still locked into the book. And then the lady said this. My husband's body is on this plane. We've been married 53 years. And then Bombeck says, I don't think I ever detested myself more than I did at that moment. She said, I don't think I ever detested myself more than I did at that moment. Another human being was screaming to be heard and in desperation had turned to a cold stranger who was more interested in a novel than a real life drama at her elbow. She talked numbly and steadily until we boarded the plane, then found her seat in another section. Bombeck says, as I hung my coat up, I heard her say, to her seat companion, I'll bet it's cold in Chicago. You know, isn't that a reminder to all of us? There are people who need mercy all around us. I'm not talking about people who haven't done anything wrong. 
People need mercy. Those of us who show mercy ought to be a source of mercy. You've got to put it on. It's not natural for you. You want to be sharp. You want to take up for yourself. You want to give them a piece of your mind. You want to defend yourself. You want to be right. You don't want to be a pushover. But in all the efforts to defend your rights and to be established in yourself, you forget that God, who is rich in mercy, showed mercy to you and to me and saved our soul from a devil's hell. So now our motivation to be merciful is none other than the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. When to be merciful to people. Adrian Rogers said there's three classes of people in every community. The beater-uppers. Speaking of the story that Good Samaritan. The beater-uppers, those who steal, kill, and destroy. These people say, what's yours is mine and I'm going to get it. Not only the beater-uppers, but he said the passer-uppers. Those who see the need but walk on by. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. And number three, the picker-uppers. Those who move from notion to emotion to motion, to devotion. What's mine is yours, and I'm going to help you. Those are the picker-uppers. You know, Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, verse 30, there were two blind men sitting by the wayside, and when they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. And they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Verse 32, what did Jesus do? You know how to get Jesus' attention? And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And so here's, here's, here's the product of mercy. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Do you know what you need to have? We say, and, and some having compassion makes a difference. Jude 22. Boy, I want that to be my life first, Pastor. You know what you got to do in Colossians 3, 12? You got to put on vows of mercy. Just like, just like you put on your clothing. You got you to wake up and say, hey, I'm going to be merciful today. I'm going to be merciful today. What well, goes against my nature? People run all over me. Really? There's a judge one day that they'll have to answer to that they will not run over. If their motives are wrong, God will judge them. If their motives are impure, God will judge them. But because we've been shown mercy, we ought to show mercy. Let's put it on. Show it. God's a God who is merciful. I'm thankful that he is. Because of that, our response to all this riot, racism, all these people in the streets busting police cars, you, you, in my flesh, I can't describe to you what I'd like to do. And if we were all honest, it'd be about the same kind of thing. Can you make me feel a little better about myself? Thank you. 
Three of you did. I appreciate that. But then I began thinking, you know what? They may be dark blue. That may be dark blue. But I'm blue all over too. If sin were blue, I'm blue all over. It may be a different shade of blue. But it's still blue. So when we look at other people, just understand, hey, you got the same problem they have. They need mercy just like you need mercy. Not just mercy after saved. Do you know I need mercy after I get, got saved? You know I need mercy today. Because I'm not always going to do what God wants me to do. You're not always going to do what he wants you to do. You know what we need? Mercy. I'm glad we have a God who gives mercy. Not just one time, but they're new every morning. It's like going out picking beans. You don't pick the same ones twice. Mercies are new every morning. I'm thankful. Church, our motivation to show mercy is because we've been shown it. Just quit being hate. I couldn't dream of doing that. I would never do that. Hold on a minute. Your sin put Jesus to the cross. I don't care what it was. No, I wasn't, I, I, I'm a sinner now, but I'd never do that. Hold on a minute. In our own depravity, you have no idea what you're capable of. Because we're dead in tre- sin, trespassing sin. There's no, we have a sin nature. I'd do that. I'd never do that. Don't say that. Paul said, we're not for the grace of God. There go. Same for us. You know, it's hard to show mercy because you don't want to. You don't want to. They did that. I don't want to show. I don't want to. Yeah. May God help us to show mercy. Because in God's eyes, we're as bad as what we think they are. In God's eyes, we're just as guilty as the person we're talking about. So if God judged according to our righteousness, it's all as filthy rags. We're all doomed to hell. But I'm glad, but God, verse four, who is rich in mercy.